right now, I, I have family members who actually own nine McDonald's and it was passed on through two generations. It's almost impossible to get into McDonald's now. Maybe 30, 40 years ago, you could probably have gotten into a McDonald's type restaurant for, you know, $100,000, $300,000 now. It's going to be over a million. So it's really not attainable for most individuals. There are there are so many service-based franchises that are certainly a more reachable goal. Um, in particular, coming on the heels of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of uh, changes in terms of, of demand and and what makes sense. And so what, what we have found out, not just since the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, we like to introduce our clients to what we call recession-resistant affordable franchises. This is Fabiola Florenville with the Black Business Podcast for BlackPagesMiami.com, powered by the Miami-Dade Economic Advocacy Trust. And as part of this series, we have discussions with other Black entrepreneurs and business leaders on topics of interest to the Black business community. And today's guest is Linda Belford, who is the market president of FriendNet of Greater Orlando. Hey, Linda, how are you? I'm good. How are you today? Good. Thanks for joining. So I wanted to have you on because, you know, some time ago, uh, MD revived is black franchising series. So we had you on the webinar as one of our um, guests. And because of your experience in franchising, um, you provided a lot of valuable information for those who were considering franchising or even in the process or even wanting to know how the entire uh, process works, because I think that there's a lot of perceptions out there that may not be accurate and um indeed has had success in the past uh when it uh helped to fund the first black owned denny's in the southeast most people don't even know that but that was the miami Dade economic advocacy trust that powered that and helped the first black owned denny's open in the southeast and then there were some other franchises as well so our hope is that you know, through the educational webinars that we've been doing and with wisdom from people like yourself and the services that you provide, that the business community could be engaged and interested in considering franchises um, as a way to scale and fast track their business growth. Most certainly. It's certainly an option there that um, is attainable for many people and, and many people think it's not attainable. That's one of the um, big franchising myths is that, you know, you've got to have a million dollars to own a franchise. So we we aim to educate and advise and um, help people make um, the right choices once it, you know, once people decide that they, for whatever the reason, a crossroads in their career, um, you know, uh, unemployment, in, insecurity, a lot of different reasons, but we're here to kind of help those people explore and make sure they make the right decision and they get it right the first time because starting a business, owning a business is typically a once in a lifetime event and it's important to use every possible resource to get it right and and that's what we do. We have an established process that helps match people's talents and goals with the right franchise, if there is a right franchise, to ensure a much higher success rate. So we, we act as an advisor to carry our clients through the process and make sure that they're basing their decisions upon facts and not speculation or what they might read 
on the internet. Okay, so let's kind of digest that a bit because you mentioned, you know, having the right resources, equipping yourself with all of the knowledge and information that you need and making sure that you take a methodical approach to launching your franchise. I think when, you know, people think about franchises, McDonald's and the big million dollar franchises, you know, for the startup Mm -hmm. piece, that's what people typically think of. Right. And so that immediate dollar amount that, you know, it, it takes to start a McDonald's, you know, that's an immediate barrier. So maybe you can kind of help us break down some of those barriers and talk about some of the more approachable franchises that you see people having success with. Certainly, certainly. Um, And and you mentioned McDonald's, and when I do my presentations, I do a lot of presentations with SCORE and the SBA because they are our partners. We partner with them. And and one book that I always recommend that folks read is is a book that's called More Than Just French Fries. And um, it's a compilation of of, uh, 15, 20 different thought leaders who share their insights on franchising and help um, people understand that it's not all about French fries. French fries and and when people think of a franchise, they often think hamburgers, French fries, ice cream, and dry cleaners. And there is so much more. Um, so so to kind of backtrack, um, you mentioned the investment level and. Um, Right now, I, I have family members who actually own nine McDonald's, and it was passed on through two generations. It's almost impossible to get into McDonald's now. Maybe 30, 40 years ago, you could probably have gotten into a McDonald's-type restaurant for, you know, $100,000, $300,000 now. It's going to be over a million. So it's really not attainable for most individuals. There are there are so many service-based franchises that are certainly a more reachable goal. Um, in particular, coming on the heels of the pandemic, we've seen a lot of uh, changes in terms of, of demand and and what makes sense. And so what, what we have found out, not just since the pandemic, but even prior to the pandemic, we like to introduce our clients to what we call recession-resistant, affordable franchises, franchises such as home services and, and, and home improvement, ranging everywhere from flooring decor to window washing to painting to uh, residential and commercial cleaning, um, lawn care, mosquito control, pool services, and much, many of those home service type franchises are home-based or mobile-based. And so that really can cut down on the um, initial required investment when you're not investing in brick and mortar. And we had begun to see that trend three, four years ago prior to the the pandemic, and we see it even more so now. And so we used to call those types of businesses or types of franchises recession-resistant. The new word now is essential service. And so, you know, there there are franchises um, in a lot of unexpected industries, um, head care, $51 billion business, we're seeing a real big interest in in, in dog grooming and in, in, in mobile pet grooming and pet spas and boarding. Uh, senior care has always been and will continue to be um, in demand um, every day. 10,000 Americans reach retirement age, and so as an aging society, the whole home care, senior care 
uh, realm is going to continue to grow, and that includes both medical and non-medical services. It includes placement services, a lot of things that people don't traditionally think about. You know, there's tutoring, there's virtual tutoring, a lot of the um, educational-type concepts that we place people in saw a bit of a bump at the beginning of COVID, but as, as education started to go virtual, um, we saw really an explosion in those areas. So, so those are some of the the not-so-thought-about uh, sectors uh, that have franchising available. You know, we have management consulting. We have fundraising uh, franchises. People are so surprised that there's, there's franchises that um, do fundraising, one that's, that's um, been very robust as fundraising for schools um, for their sports program it's been very very successful uh, so those are just some of the the diverse some of the diversity in franchising um, when you talk about cost franchising uh, runs anywhere you can you can actually um, uh, get into a real robust uh, home-based franchise starting at 70,000 so we see everything from seventy thousand investment all the way to seven hundred thousand. We typically do not work with um, the larger McDonald's and Wendy's uh, because most of our clients are not positioned uh, to invest a million dollars, and it's very hard to get into some of those franchises as well. I would say the clients that we work with are typically. Purchasing franchises in the range from seventy-five to probably two hundred and fifty. You will see franchise companies, some of the more unscrupulous ones, advertising. You can own one of our franchises for ten thousand um, dollars. It's very unlikely if you invest ten thousand dollars in a franchise, you're essentially throwing your money out the window. And so we try and help people understand what the true investment level is. There is not necessarily a correlation between how much you can earn and how much you invest. We have seen individuals invest $80,000 in a franchise and see a net gain in two or three years of five or 600000 On the other hand, we've seen people invest $300,000 in a franchise, and by year three, they're still netting under 100000 So there is no automatic correlation between the investment um, I know some McDonald's owners, not my family members, but McDonald's owners who invested seven, eight hundred thousand dollars in McDonald's, and they're they're grossing or they're netting um, thirty thousand dollars per store per year. Uh, so, so that's just kind of an example of um, making sure you do your research and understand um, net versus gross versus your investment. Okay, so that's a lot, right? And I have so many thoughts around what you said first. You mentioned that the generational franchising, right? And with McDonald's and your family passing that on. And that's significant, especially when we're talking about creating black wealth. That is something for us to really consider in terms of the opportunities that we pursue and the types of businesses that we scale, right? Because it's not just about having the business and creating it to be a job for you, but to be able to creating generational wealth. Exactly. Exactly. So, right. So that's one shift that we have to do when it comes to business, our approach to business, right? So not, it's not a job. Okay. So the business is not a job. So it's meant for you to pass it on to your kids and your kids passing it on to theirs. So that's one thing. Um, another thing that you mentioned, obviously some of the myths and just the wide range and the diversity of franchises, right? So it's, it's, 
practically everything is franchisable from what you're saying. Um, so if you're in an industry that you're already working in and that you have a skill set in, I would assume that that's probably an entry point, right? Because there's likely a franchise opportunity, but even if it's an industry that you have no experience in, I think because the perception is that, okay, fine, I'm not going to do a McDonald's, but I'll do a Smoothie King. I'll do a Firehouse Subs. I'll do a Subway. I think that's kind of um, the opportunities that people think of when they think of non-McDonald's franchises, but you just gave us a whole list uh, right. Other opportunities. So, so well, if you think about it, if if you really think about what franchisors want, franchisors, whether it be food or non-food, they are not typically looking for people with experience in food or experience in hair care or experience in dry cleaning. They are looking for individuals who, through their careers, have developed. Um, a skill set who has developed transferable skills. They want people to become business owners who can manage the budgets, the strategic plans, the marketing. There are many franchises who will not accept you if you come to them from their industry because they feel that you are coming with preconceived ideas. They don't want preconceived ideas. They want to train you to use their system to sell their product or service using those transferable skills that you have built previously. Right. So, okay, so I have two follow-up questions for you. The first follow-up question is when you mentioned how your investment level does not have a direct correlation to your profitability, right? So the first question is what really makes a difference? Because when you're thinking about a franchise, there's already a built-in system. Right. So you're yes. you're the assumption is that you're walking into a built in system for how to run this business and how to make money. So if I'm investing into a built in system and you're saying that I and I've been trained on the system and I fully understand behind the scenes and the public facing side and I'm still not making the profit profitability. I think that's something that people should be aware of up front. And then the other thing, when you mentioned how the pandemic has really revealed some new opportunities or some shifts in uh, so some of the more attractive franchises, I'd like to hear your thoughts on, uh, non-service based franchises, because, you know, during the pandemic, the rise in e-commerce has been tremendous. So any internet based franchises that doesn't have a service component, but could be product focused, I'd like to see, you know, what those opportunities look like. Um, with respect to, to non-service based, I mean, we, we did see a growth in some of the um, more technological, um, digital digital marketing franchises did extremely well. Um, franchises offering platforms for businesses, what we call business-to-business franchises, that offered a product or service that allowed a business to operate in a different way using different forms and, and better technology. Um, so that kind of came out of COVID as well. Um, and I'm, I don't want to mislead because the, the restaurant industry um, evolved into some of the quick service restaurants seeing some of their strongest performance. In the last six months, I've placed seven clients in quick service restaurants. Um, you know, ones where you stop in, you get the healthy food. Um, so, so food concepts are still something that is attractive, um, and it is something that there are some very strong models, but I always like to make sure that people know that there are some non-food 
non-brick-and-mortar, non-franchises that don't require 30 employees. Because when we do our assessment with our clients, a lot of clients come to us and we, we do a very, very detailed inventory. And we hear we want a business, but we don't want a bunch of teenagers. We don't want a business where we have 15, 20, 30, 40 employees. And so we take all of that into consideration. A lot of people don't think about the type of business that would work for them. So we help them identify what characteristics work best for you. It might end up being a food concept. It might be a residential cleaning concept. It might be a management consulting. It might be a human resources. So we work with our clients just to make sure that we help them think about things that they might not have thought about. Okay. So regarding the first question about uh, the profitability in um, your investment. Yes. The profitability is, is a biggie, and, and part of my history, I owned a, a franchise, and when I was the owner of that franchise, I also was the vice president of a national franchise association, and, and my my role was to help our franchises be the best that they could be in terms of profitability. I was one of the top performers in my franchise, and so I would get phone calls all the time from unhappy franchisees, and why are people unhappy? Because they're not making money, and I would speak with these individuals and the commonality behind every single one of them that was not thriving was that they were not following the model. Um, I happened to be in Michigan with a franchise during the recession, and I was still top performing, top 10%. I was outside of Flint, Michigan. We had the water crisis. We had General Motors shutting down. My franchise, which was an edible arrangements franchise, I can go ahead and say that, you would think I would have been struggling. Top 10% of the country every every month. How are you doing this? I would tell people I'm following the model. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm spending money on advertising. I'm networking. I'm doing what they tell me to do. 99% of those folks who were not profitable were not doing what they were supposed to do. And I tell people if you're going to own a franchise and you're going to trust in the franchise or and you're going to pay them royalties, and you're going to pay a franchise fee, then follow their model. If you're not willing to do that, number one, you're throwing your money out the window, and number two, you're going to fail because you're not following a model that has been tested to be workable and successful and profitable. Um, so profitability is going to vary based upon how compliant the franchisee is and if they do what they're supposed to do and if they put time into the business and hire the right people. It's going to make all the difference in the world. I also like to tell people there's no such thing as an absentee model. There are semi-absentee models. That does not mean you turn your business over to someone and you go to the golf course or to play tennis every day. That means you might not be in the business physically every day, but you're working on that business every day. 8, 10, 12, 15 hours a day. And so there is a big mis misperception that I can own this business and never be there because I know this business on the corner and I never see the owner. You might not see the owner, but I can guarantee you that owner is somewhere working on behalf of that business, building relationships, marketing, doing all those things that you don't see up front. Okay, so essentially this is not one of those types of businesses where you retire in the sense to where you just sit back and let the money roll in. You still have to roll up your sleeves and do the work. You can get there. 
you can get there. When you buy a franchise, the ultimate goal is to step back. But my message is when you buy a franchise, that's not going to happen in the first five years. Right. Ten years down the road, maybe yes. Another thing I like to talk about people discuss with people is where do you want to be in 10 years? Do you want to step back in a more passive role? That's achievable. Do you want to build a legacy for your children? Or do you want to make a lot of money, sell it, take the money and move on? It's got to have an end plan at the beginning. And part of that end plan is determining what you want to do. Do you want to step back? Do you want to stay involved? Do you want to pass it on as a legacy builder? Or do you want to sell it? And that's a very important piece in deciding if you want to go in business, if you want it to be a franchise, and, and how you want to do that timeline. Got it. So let's talk about the financing part um, as we close out. So you mentioned how the ranges that you typically see is in the seven, like the 70 to 100. Right 70, 80. Mm-hmm. Okay. So how do you finance that? Let's talk about that. Well, you know, there's many financing options that are available. Obviously, there's the traditional bank loan, the SBA loan. Um, People can also, you know, finance using equity, stocks, bonds, CDs. Um, People can use their IRA or 401k plans, and there is a way to do that that is um, penalty-free and perfectly legal. Um, The cash needed to finance a a franchise purchase, you know, is going to vary depending on the type of liquid capital and the franchise being purchased. Um, so if you're purchasing a franchise, let's just use around $100,000, most of the banks are going to want you to have liquid assets of about 30%. If you have $30,000 and the franchise is $100,000, you're going to be pretty well suited to get funding from the bank to finance you. Um, they like for you to have a credit score of 700 or better to be considered financeable, good credit history, no no bankruptcies. And I like to tell people you, you can't buy a, a $70,000 franchise with $5,000. <laughs> Are grants available? A lot of... Um, African-Americans in particular, you know, are under the impression, well, there's all these grants and loans for women and minorities, Um, you know, not so fast. There are some, but most of those are for existing businesses, and uh, a grant is is typically not going to position you to have the liquid injection that is required by a bank to give you the other 70% that you need. They want people who've shown a history of um, being fundable and a history of of repaying loans. And so that sometimes can be a challenge. Uh, So people have to be really realistic. Um, I have a lot of folks coming to me now who, because of um, layoffs, have, you know, been with companies 15, 20 years, and they have severance packages, and they're utilizing that money. They're investing into a business, and it's, it's, it's worked very well for many people. Um, but traditionally, there is money available to be loaned, but you have to have some cash injection to do that. Okay. So you don't need all the cash. It's fine. No. Yeah. So you can get finance. Now, you final, can get finance. Yep. final question on that. You know, typically, um, when you're going for a bank loan or an SBA loan, they're looking for... Um, uh, prior history in the business, right? And a lot of times startups don't get um, funded or invested because obviously they don't have prior history or a balance sheet or anything to show. So is franchising different 
when it comes to that? Franchising, that, that's one of the things that makes franchising attractive because when you go to the bank and say, I am purchasing the ABC franchise, they know that if it's a franchise with a with an FDD, franchise disclosure document, which is requirement, you have a business model, you have a track record. 90% of the franchise partners with whom I work are on the, what we call the the SBA directory, and that SBA directory is a list of businesses with whom they have worked with and businesses for whom they have provided loans for who have successfully paid those loans back. So it's like their checklist to determine how likely are you to be defaulting on your loan or how unlikely you are. So if you are buying a franchise and that franchise is on that SBA directory, it's going to be much, much easier to get funded than starting your own business with no track record. Got it. And that's an advantage of franchising. Yes. That makes a lot of sense. So um, last question, where does someone start with FranNet? Because you mentioned earlier that some franchises typically don't default and go with uh, someone who's worked in the business or the industry because they don't want you to come with um, preconceived notions. So I would, because I, I previously assumed that by default, that would be your go-to. So if that's mm-hmm. the case, how does someone tap into what's the right franchise for them? Obviously, I know finance is one, but if it's not something that you've been doing already, like take, use me as an example. You know, I only have uh, experience in the communications related industry and in real estate. But if I wanted to do something outside of those, where would I start with, searching for that and identifying the right opportunity. Well, that's where that's where a FranNet consultant comes in. Um, we typically have several conversations with our clients, and we have you complete what we call a personal franchise assessment. And it's essentially an effective tool to, to find out um, what type of businesses are suited to you. We tap into your skills, your goals, and it's very similar to the Myers-Briggs personality inventory. However, it has more of a business slant to it. And that tool, once you complete it, which takes about 15 or 20 minutes to complete, allows us to really, really narrow down the selection process so we can see which systems offer you the highest opportunity for success. Because we've looked at your core competencies, your values, your motives, your work style, your focus, your your leadership style, and very importantly, your compliance. And so that's that's where you start. Um, and then we can determine, number one, if franchise ownership even makes sense for you. Um, and if it does, what types of franchises would be well-suited to your profile? And um, that's kind of where we begin. And that, that personal franchise assessment was developed by a team of, of behavioral psychologist like 35 years ago that's how long we've been around and it's been tweaked and fine-tuned over the over the years um but it's certainly a psychometric profile that that can help us make sure that you're looking at something that's going to give you the most opportunities for success got it okay so you've provided a lot of information where can people reach you and find out how to get started uh i can be reached at um um, at lmbelfort at frannet.com. That's my email address. Um, all of my services, by the way, are free. Uh, we, are pay- we are like executive recruiters, and we're paid for by the franchise company. So if anyone would like to complete that uh, franchise assessment, they can reach out to me again at 
lmfelford at frannet.com, or you can give me a call at area code 407-393-0548. Okay, and so when someone reaches out to you, how should they be ready right now? How how soon should they be doing that? Mm Mm-hmm. We have a discussion regarding that. Typically, uh, we begin working with people who, who are, are within six months of moving forward. Um, obviously, you know, we don't want to spend time working with someone who wants to do this in two years or five years because the landscape will change. Uh, opportunities that are available now might not be available next year. Opportunities that um, are good opportunities now, something may happen, and five years down the road, that's not what's in demand. So we really like people who are, are really ready to move forward and start exploring. The exploratory process is going to take anywhere from three to nine months. So, you know, if individuals are not ready to really get involved within the next six months, we ask them to kind of, you know, hang out there and stay on our mailing list, and I can send them monthly newsletters to kind of help educate them until they are ready to fire that gun and start actively speaking with franchisors and in exploring. Franchisors really don't want to waste their time talking to people who might open a franchise in five years. They they, they get annoyed with me when I refer someone to them who, who's not ready to move forward. Okay. Well, sounds good. So, Linda, I thank you again for all of the nuggets that you did provide us. Thanks again. Well, thank you for the opportunity, and and I'd be happy um, to um, speak with any of the listeners and help you determine if franchise ownership is something that's in your future. Good. Thanks for tuning in. Until next time, this is Fabiola Florenville, the CEO of Blueprint Creative Group, a strategic communications agency and the creator of BlackPagesMiami.com. Ciao.